Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Matthew Castaneda. I am the host of the new podcast show, The MCast. Um, I'm really excited to, you know, start this uh, new podcast series. Um, I've been, I'm someone who's young, but has experienced a lot in politics and both uh, grassroots, um, recruiting new people for the uh, generation that's fighting for the conservative and liberty movement, people advocating for small government and uh, constitutional principles. So follow me on social media. Um, I have iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify that this is going to be on. Um, I also have an Instagram page at the underscore MCast. And my Twitter is the MCast podcast. And um, for my first episode, I'd like to introduce um, the first, my first two guests on the very first episode. Um, first one is David Seifer, who is uh, one of the Republican nominees uh, for, as Assemblyman for the 22nd Legislative District in the state of New Jersey. And Matthew Dulio Giacino who is uh, one of the Republican nominees running for Atlantic City Council. Um, Matt and David, I'm glad to have you on. How are you guys doing today? Feeling good. I, I feel good. Great. <laughs> you're, you're like, hey, Matt, what, what, what's going on with that? Oh, well, I was going to speak, but then he spoke first, so I was like, oh, I'll just wait. But um, no, I'm really, I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited for this. This is my, my first podcast, really. Yeah, I mean it's the same. It's the same here. So that's uh that's the same. That's the case for at least two of us. But yeah, so you know, for for our listeners out there, just give your just give yourselves a give us a little introduction to yourselves. You know, like where you're from. What like of course the positions that you're running for. Why you're running. So my name's Matthew Diulio Jacino. I'm currently running for Atlantic City Council at large. That is a position that is basically the governing body of the city, the the legislative branch of the city, and the at large position doesn't just represent a specific neighborhood it represents the entire city so i'm running in a citywide election in a heavily democrat um, stronghold Uh, and and one of the reasons i've decided to jump in is i mean i don't know if anyone's been paying attention but atlantic city really hasn't been on the up and up for quite some time i grew up here and you know i'm 30 years old and over that 30 years i've just continually watched my hometown decline uh, among many, many, many other reasons. I mean, I could literally, I could go on for two hours as to why I'm running. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something I really want to touch upon because, of course, being a lifelong Jersey native up in Morris County, I mean, we're always ragging on South Jersey and Atlantic City has been, and Camden has been like the main, uh, I guess the main bludgeons against South Jersey, essentially. But um, but we'll definitely touch upon that. Um, David, um, if you could introduce yourself as well, um, you know, for your campaign, you know, why you're running, you know, and any general stuff that the listeners may want to know. Yeah, um, just to start it off, of course, my name is uh, David Seifer. I'm running for Assemblyman in the 22nd District of New Jersey. And basically, my story is interesting because when I started in the Republican Party, I actually started in the background. Um, I started out in New York uh, with my mentor. His name was Brandon Washington uh, with the Young Brooklyn Republicans Club. And basically... Mm-hmm. You know, his vision is we started out as an activist group. We, you know, we fed the homeless. You know, we read books to kids. We did uh, uh, school choice information uh, uh, forums. So basically, I started out in service. And um, I had no ambitions of running. I just wanted to basically help from the ground up. When the opportunity presented itself, I feel like it was the best move for me because I'm just taking everything that I've learned in service and bringing it to the state legislature, you know, and um, for all those that don't know, assemblymen, uh, for example, we vote on bills that affect uh, essentially what goes on at the state level. Like, for example, you just seen 
the bill that uh, Murphy and the Democrats passed to give him unlimited executive powers. So that would be my job to, you know, officiate in matters that affect the state as a whole. Right. And when it comes to those uh, emergency powers, um, is it so like, like would you, what exact emergency powers does that um, does it grant the, the governor the rights to? Like, is it to continue extended lockdowns? Is it to continue more mandates? Um, like what like what's some of the juicy stuff when it comes to it? I mean, yeah, but basically, you know, there's certain things that, you know, the government can't do unless it's like considered a public emergency crisis. Like, for example, with the lockdown, like a government can't just order somebody to stay in their house unless, you know, it's a public health emergency crisis. Or, for example, if they ever wanted to try to force people to take the vaccine, they can do it under the disguise of public health emergency. Right. right. Anything that when it starts to get very intrusive, you know, uh, they can do it under the guise of public health emergency. Now, I don't know what Murphy plans to do. You know, I'm not I'm not in his head or on his team, but basically he has a lot of free reign under the guise of public health emergency. And it's, it's a yeah. very slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely. Through the emergency orders. I mean, you've seen a lot of uh, public colleges, universities. Uh, my alma mater, unfortunately, uh, Rutgers University, um, they were one of the first public uh, colleges, not just in New Jersey, but in the entire country to impose a vaccine mandate. I mean, it obviously drew the ire of so many people like us in New Jersey that there was a whole medical freedom rally the other day um, in protest of that. And I think a lot of people um, I've seen in both sides, you know, whether you're a conservative, libertarian, or even a lot of people on the left, especially progressives, um, they strongly feel that, you know, it's your choice on, you know, what to do with your body. It's your choice on, you know, what you want to do regarding, you know, what substances can be put into your body, you know, what medicines you could use, that type of stuff. You know, especially like if they want to stay consistent with the pro-choice argument when it comes to abortion, but not going to get into that. Um, so... You know, I guess transitioning over, um, you like mind if you guys like explain a little bit more about like you know the the areas you're running in, like in Atlantic City. Um, this is where I wanted to bring up um the Atlantic City because uh, safe to say it's not exactly the uh, you know the most I integral place or the city with the most integrity politically speaking. So, uh, you know, I'd like for you to touch up upon that a little bit, Math. Matt, um, just please tell me uh, like what's exactly going on with Atlantic City. Like what's what's going on over there? This started under the Christie administration. Um, the state passed a bill that basically took control over the city. So our governor, I mean, I'm not, not our governor, our mayor and our city council is really at this point, they're just a figurehead. All of their decisions have to be pre-approved and finally approved by the state. We have a, a, a state, I uh, forget what they call them, state observer mm. that observes everything that we do and the problem is that they, they, they didn't even say it's because of the corruption. Their, their initial excuse was that the city was fiscally irresponsible. We were, I don't know the exact number, it was around $110 million in debt when the state took over. Jeez. Uh, we're in excess of, now the state's taken over the last five years, and we're now in excess of $550 million in debt. I mean, they, then again, the state doesn't have the show the best example because uh, they're also uh, billions of dollars in debt themselves statewide. So <laughs> not exactly the best example. Right. And, you know, from the beginning, going back to I mean, even before, but going back to the late 70s when the casino bill was passed and we were, we were allotted legal gambling, you know, the whole promise was, oh, these these casinos are going to come in Atlantic City. The residents are going to uh, they're all going to have jobs. 
nobody will have to pay property taxes because there's going to be so much tax revenue. We have $154 million a year in luxury and parking taxes alone that 100% the state takes. We don't see a penny of it. We don't see a penny of it, which is why Atlantic City has some of the highest property taxes in, in all of South Jersey. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And it's at the point now where less than 25% of our residents even own their homes. So that creates another issue where 75% of the people don't pay taxes, although when you pay rent, your rent is based upon you know, the amount that the landlord has to pay in property taxes. They don't see that directly. Yeah. So the majority doesn't even look at it and it just continues to become unaddressed and it, it further pushes poverty. And I just want to get back to, to, to Governor Murphy real quick. You know, what he did really reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen the movie Revenge of the Sith, yes. but the Senate, you know, the Senate grants these emergency powers to the Emperor Palpatine, or, or yeah, Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine at the time. Yeah. Well, actually he doesn't become emperor yet after, after, but really yeah. when you look, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not about public health. It's about consolidating power. If you look at what he did with his power, the first thing he did was postpone all the evictions until January 1st, 2022. Well, what's on January 1st, 2022? That's the end of his term. So now if you're one of these people that might be evicted or maybe you're even one of the people that are just not paying your rent because there's nothing they can do to stop you, now you're dependent on Murphy becoming reelected. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's really sickening. It's really sickening what he's doing. Yeah, especially it's, using people to, you know, you know, ex exploiting them for their own political power, their own political gain is uh, is definitely an alarming thing indeed. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, while it's still happening on the Murphy administration, it's been going on in the state for a very long time. I mean, this type of stuff was happening under Corzine. It was happening under Florio. I mean, before, I think at least Christine Todd Whitman, I mean, I was, you know, I wasn't old enough to live during those times, but... You know, I can tell from just uh, listening to people across the communities, um, it's just been getting progressively worse, no pun intended, but, <laughs> you know. Back so take over in Atlantic City, you know, one of the things they did is they decimated our public safety. Our police has been cut in half over the last 10 or 15 years. So we have literally no patrols. Our roads look like they root. Uh, our schools have like 11% proficiency rates. It, the whole wow. city is a disaster. It's 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 a disaster. It's it's going downhill. There are a lot of developers uh, that are interested in Atlantic City, but you know we have this backroom cronyism, um, you know, headache-inducing permit process, where you know if you want to get something done, you got to grease all the palms. You got to and and you know, some things are by the city council. Some things are by this organization called the CRDA. Other things are, and it's all overseen by the state. And right. You know, development is, and, and, and that goes back a long time. You know, we have huge problems with a, a really bad reputation with, with out-of-town developers. Yeah, for sure. David, um, how's how's your area? Where are you from? Um, is, it, is it bad as uh, Atlantic City, politically speaking? Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your home district. Yes, um, basically I live in District 22, which covers Union County. That's Rawway City, Linden City, uh, Scotch Scotch. Scotch Plains, uh, Clark, a uh, little town called Winfield, and a small part of uh, Middlesex County. And basically, you know, I wouldn't say it's as, you know, dire as Atlantic City, but what's going on politically is that Democrats, you know, basically have this town 
in a stronghold. And, you know, when you have the talent in a stronghold, you have a situation where there's an anti-business climate. You have a situation where, you know, uh, they speak of progress, but there clearly is a gap between rich and poor. There clearly is a gap between the cultures of black and white. And it's been under their leadership. So it's more of how can we usher in a new leadership where, you know, we can cut property tax, where we can uh, address those issues that Democrats say that we don't address, right? As far as uh, one school on the poorer side of town doing worse than the school on the other side of town. So these are the issues that I'm willing to address that basically you wouldn't expect from quote unquote uh, from a Republican, but we are a new generation of Republicans, so. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, in our communities, you know, which um, inspires us to run for office, but in your guys' case, like Matt, in your case, like, I know you said you were inspired to run through uh, some fa- general factors, but go into a little more about like what inspired you. Like, like what have you done for the community beforehand or leading up to your decision to initially run and, um, you know, just go on from there. Okay. So in 2017, we elected our mayor, Frank Gilliam, and he uh, ended up stealing $90,000 from a youth basketball team. And oh, he, I heard about that. Yeah. He was caught by the FBI. Uh, in late 2019, he resigned for mayor, and they appointed our city council president, Marty Small, as the interim mayor. And so there was still one year left on his term. So last year, we had a special election, basically, uh, for, the, for a one-year term. Um, and right. in, be- in between that election and Marty taking office, we also had a, an effort to change the form of government from to, to a... Uh, city manager form of government right so that that would have basically been we currently have six wards and nine people on our council we have six council people that represent each ward and then three at large council so the change of government would have changed us from six wards to five we would have elected five council people and those council people would then choose our mayor and that mm-hmm. to me was you know i understood because they got the, the petition got a lot of signatures because people just went around, hey, you want to change the government? People were like, oh yeah, they signed it. Yeah, it's it. that's probably the most blatant form of voter disenfranchisement you could possibly imagine. We don't even get to pick our leader anymore, and you know the city council, the, you know the, the individual neighborhoods. I mean, these are these are places that are determined by three or four hundred votes, and they're very right. easy to wait. And with the outside money and the outside influences, it would have solidified. Uh, a form of the state takeover for all of eternity. So that was a huge red flag for me. That was when I was like, okay, the people of Atlantic City want to change. This isn't the way. So the even the Republicans and the Democrats in Atlantic City, we actually came together to oppose that, and we beat it uh, with eighty percent of the vote because we, we had a special election in May because it made it onto a, the special election ballot. That's a pleasant and, surprise. Yeah. So we beat it with eighty percent. That was really good. Fast forward, you had the George Floyd incident, yeah. which is a very, very unfortunate incident. So that happened, I believe, on a Tuesday, and we had protests here the following Saturday. Now, in those five days, it became very apparent what these protests typically ended up becoming. And our city did absolutely nothing to prepare for that. You know, they treated it like it was some kind of joke. 
mostly peaceful protests, right? <laughs> well, they were the police were out there mocking the protesters. They were laughing at them, and it ended up becoming a full-scale riot. And they destroyed the entire walk. They smashed up windows. They did all this stuff. And so at, while the riot was still going on, I hopped on social media right away, and I was like, "We have to, we have to clean this up. We have to clean this up because, you know, unfortunately, that's typically that, that's very typical of what happens in Atlantic City. You get the city leadership that makes a mess, and the residents get stuck cleaning it up. So that's what we did. We we I, I got over 150 people to come out." And we had the city clean by 10 a.m., 10.30 in the morning that next, the next day. And so that really, awesome. jumped me, that really jump-started me in getting to know a lot of local people. And just from that alone, people were coming up to me and asking me to run. And I had already thought – so I'm, I'm in recovery from addiction. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'd always kind of had in my mind like, okay, you know, considering I have such a crazy past – you know, the idea of running for office is probably like not that great right now when I have all this, all this baggage attached to me. So originally I was going, you know, I, I enrolled in college. I, I studied addiction counseling and I was going to do that for a couple of years and then maybe throw my hat in the ring. But it just got so bad that I was like, I don't know if we have the time for all that. Yeah. I don't, I, so, you know, I put the whole addiction thing on hold. Actually, now I'm, I'm, I'm back in that field. I'm, I'm working in a, in a, in a detox facility uh that's awesome system. though god bless honestly Thanks. it's uh it's a very important thing to do i mean anyone could say this about their state for the most part you know that we have you know a significant drug problem especially when it comes to the opioid crisis um when it comes to you know, i guess you know similar medication that people can easily get addicted on so you know like how what's been your experiences like that so far like have you dealt with a lot of people that have been struggling with addiction personally um or you just done it through your job like what's been your experience i was just at a I was just at a funeral for a friend of over 10 years, not last Sunday, the Sunday before. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's almost every other day, at least on Facebook, I'm seeing, an, at least, you know, acquaintances pass away, family pass away, all from this issue that, you know, Chris Christie put a lot of money into, but it was really just a bid so he could go for president. Because I'm not, not, you know, that's not, it's really not being addressed. It's really not. And, and we have a needle exchange program here in Atlantic City. And the current city council, actually, the Democrats completely oppose it. And they want to close it. And I think right. that's, a, yeah. you know, I've, in, in my day, I was a client there. And they, they also don't just provide clean syringes. They provide Narcan. And I saved three lives with the Narcan that that place provided me. And those wow. people save additional lives as well and those people are all still alive today two of them are in, are in recovery now and have completely turned the tables around you shut that place down those people are dead you know and right when 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 someone when someone dies from addiction that stops them from ever having the chance to recover and that's that's one of the big problems with the, the entire model for treatment we have it only has a six percent success rate yeah. Which is a huge reason I'm I'm doing this because I really support, at minimum, they do the, the decriminalization of certain uh, psychedelics for for medicinal use. You right. know, John is putting out study after study with uh, 
success rates that blow 6% out of the water, like 50%, 80%. I mean, nicotine, nicotine's the most addictive substance we know of. Yeah. And they just put out a study that one five gram dose of psilocybin mushrooms, an 80% success rate in one day. Wow. Someone get and, Joe Rogan on this podcast then. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I want to do. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, David, uh, like what's some other stuff? Um, just move on to David right here. Um, what's like some stuff that you've been doing in your community? Like what was the uh, what was your draw into uh, running for office, uh, running for the state assembly in your district? Yeah, um, as far as stuff I've been doing my community, like I said, um, I've been doing, you know, basically what I was doing since the beginning of the Republican Party. I've been doing we just did a, a financial literacy program. You know, we help kids, we help the homeless. So it's just stuff that I've been doing from the beginning since before politics. But the difference is with politics, um, now we have the ability to change people's lives and in the process, reimagine how we look at the Republican Party. Like me and Matthew has many conversations. And what I come up with is that we have to take the mantle in the Republican Party because we yeah. are the new generation. We understand the needs of the young people that's coming before us like and that's no disrespect to the people that's in power right now but right when you have gatekeepers that are over 50 years old they may not understand the needs of the young people or the young soon-to-be people that's going to uh, have a big impact in our society and me and matthew speak about it all the time like for example i've talked with a number of groups that are conservative but they deal with the environment they bring free market solutions to the environment and yeah. i love it we we, we, we can't let the left uh, control that narrative. We need to be the leaders on the environment, right? We need to be the leaders on education. That's not something that we should just leave for the left. And I feel like with the older people, they've been leaving that conversation for the left to dominate. And it's created this vacuum where, oh, that's a left issue. It's not a left issue. The environment is a right issue. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, especially when I talk to people who see education or healthcare, other issues like that as a priority, like oftentimes they don't like they're either not right wing or at least not conservative or for, you know, less government on that issue solely because of the fact that people on the right don't address that issue at all. Like you said, like it's a left it's a left wing thing. It's a liberal talking points. But unfortunately, I mean, that's what led to a, a lot of the colleges, universities and unfortunately, even public schools now where there's a complete by a political bias towards one way. And I think we all know which bias that is. I mean, I personally saw this at, uh, at Rutgers Newark. I mean, just to put into perspective, there was no college Republicans chapter at Rutgers Newark. There was none. The, like when I, when I used to be at Young Americans for Liberty as a state chair, uh, well, actually even before that, I was the founding chapter president of uh, the Young Americans for Liberty chapter. I mean, there was something going on before, but when I got there, it was dead. And there was literally like all the political clubs were either college Democrats, um, I think it was DSA and like some student workers union or something. I mean, it's not technically political, but, you know, they're always advocating for like everything is a human right, you know, free everything, free benefits, that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, you know, so it's really been an endemic issue. And there's been some organizations that have been starting to finally touch on those issues. Like when it comes to the environment, um, you know, the American Conservation Coalition, you know, not exactly an advertisement by any means, but I have good friends that work for the ACC. Um, they've been providing, starting to provide free market solutions or limited government solutions when it comes to the environment. And, you know, of course, whether you agree or disagree on the approach, I mean, some have proposed carbon dividends to try to 
place a value on carbon emissions. Um, they've tried to, you know, promote other alternative forms of energy. I know usually the left wing's talking point when it comes to the environment is, you know, wind, solar, you know, get rid of fossil fuels entirely, you know, by 2030, 2040, or whatever their goal is. Um, but there's also better solutions when it comes to that. And not to get too much into weeds about it, but I'm someone who, personally for me, in my opinion, I'm someone who's very pro-nuclear. And of course, you know, people always think of stereotypes like, oh, Chernobyl, oh, Three Mile Island. But, you know, and like they say they're pro-science, but they don't realize that when it comes to nuclear energy, science is always adapting. They're always finding ways to, um, you know, better, you know, maintain like the, I guess, the nuclear reactors, prevent it from spilling or causing an accident. And it's like the chances of a nuclear accident is much lower than even a plane crash. And we already know how rare that is. So, again, not to just make it all about a whole environmental topic, but there's a lot of issues where, you know, even people on the left will admit that, yeah, like nuclear is actually a much more viable option. It doesn't cause as much pollutants. It doesn't uh, produce as much waste as like, um, you know, solar panels. I mean, what do you do with the solar panels, you know, once they're used up or broken, right? So, um, but again, not to get too much into the weeds of it, but. You guys mentioned that you're both running in a very Democrat areas. I mean, Atlantic City is obviously very blue. In fact, dare I say, is the only reason why Atlantic County is even relatively blue. And, of course, David Cipher in your district in Union County, also very blue. Um, in your district, I believe it was about 65% of the uh, the population in that district, or the voting population, of voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And it's not official yet, but I believe I imagine it's similar numbers for uh, Joe Biden in 2020. So, of course, with you guys running as Republicans in typically deep blue areas um what's the guy what's the case that you guys have been making to voters you know pe especially people who are skeptical of the republican party skeptical of calling themselves conservative how do you make the case to people that are not republicans or not like your typical republican yeah um I i'm gonna just take this first because uh this is very something that's near and dear to my heart and me and matthew have spoken about this over and over again we have to form a coalition and go in the areas where they don't expect us to go. Like for example, in Atlantic City, me and Matthew has talked about going in the heart of Atlantic City, going in the heart of the democratic areas and addressing the elephant of the room. The elephant of the room is the lack of minority support in the Republican party as far as uh, 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 black and Hispanic. Absolutely. How do, how do we deal with that? And me and Matthew have said that we are in the talks right now of putting something together where the GOP has to get on board. They have to show that they're willing to make the investment in us, the young leaders, so we can make the investment in the minority communities. Because if we're out here on a suicide mission doing it alone, they're going to say, well, maybe you guys are good, you know, but your party is bad. So they have to see us working and they have to see the party making that investment, not necessarily the people in the offices hitting the streets, but right. they need to know that the people who are in the ivory towers are putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, you know no, absolutely. Saying? So the whole thing is like, for example, uh, Matthew spoke about his personal situation. Now, imagine, you know, if he would have felt rejected because he had a problem and people in the party didn't let him in. You know, it's the same thing in the minority community. When we go in, we may be dealing with people that have issues and concerns, and we can't turn those people away. Like, for example, and I'm, I'm addressing the elephant in the room. If you go in a minority community, you will be dealing with police tensions in the community. Right. So we need to go in with an open heart and an open ear. Say, okay, what's the problem? 
And how do we sit down at the table and come up with solutions? Because if you shut the door on somebody and say, hey, I don't believe a word you're saying on being dismissive, and then you turn around and say, well, I wonder why they ain't vote for me. Well, you shocked why they ain't vote for you? I mean, your attitude speaks. You, you told him he was lying. You, you know, you, you told him it was made up. So that we can't go in with that attitude. We got to go in with the attitude is okay. If something happened, let's sit down with the police. Let's sit down with the community. What, what other methods could have been done? What this, what that? And let's come with a solution and be a part of the conversation and be a part of this, the community. And that's how we're going to make change. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we saw as a problem like in urban areas, especially in New Jersey. It's not that they're just, you know, deep blue politically, but it's like Republicans don't make an effort. Like I was looking through the election results. I mean, as of this recording on the New Jersey primary was uh, last night. So, of course, um, congrats to Matt and David Cipher. Should have said earlier, um, congrats on, uh, you know, winning respective nominations for the Republican primary. But there was a lot of towns like in Dover or in or Newark or, you know, like name any deep blue town. Eight or nine to ten out of those towns don't have any Republicans that bother to follow run. And what's also concerning, too, and again, you know, not necessarily advocating for political candidates here, although I have my own biases, but like in, in a lot of these blue areas, they're not even trying. They're not even trying to engage with voters. They're not even trying to reach out to people. And understandably so from voters, it's very difficult to see how you should vote for X candidate or X party if they're not making any efforts to show up almost as if they don't even exist in in those areas whatsoever um so you, you know and if anything like because from my experience in politics i've worked as a like an election director in two states in uh, new hampshire september last year in wisconsin um well up to september last year in new hampshire and then after that wisconsin you know for the general election and when it comes to grassroots like that's how you directly engage with voters like you can send all the mailers you want you can you know, sit, like make all the tweets, share all the stuff you can on social media, but that can only get you so far. I mean, it, it was funny because like just to put in perspective, I know this is in Virginia because Virginia is the only other state in the country right now that's having primary elections this year. But there's this Democratic Socialist, uh, Lee Carter, who is in the Virginia House of Delegates, you know, registered DSA member and everything. He, I, I believe, I forgot what position he was running for, but he was running up against this one other lady. He had literally tens of thousands of followers. It was essentially the the white male version of AOC, politically speaking, you know, in terms of Twitter clout. And this woman that he was running against only had like barely above 200 followers. She ended up smoking him by like a wide margin. Like I think he, I think the guy Lee Carter only got about 35 percent of the vote. So it really goes to show that social media doesn't really you know mean anything. Like Twitter doesn't win you elections. Social media doesn't win you elections grassroots knocking doors making calls reaching out to people in your district you know it is what does and that's what i did like i've literally knocked on thousands of doors over the course of those few months and all six of those candidates are successfully elected and got elected to the state legislatures you know in new hampshire and wisconsin all respectively um so you, you know and, and like you said david just to touch on your point you know and this is a question for both of you of course um, obviously, as you know, as you guys, as conservatives, as Republicans, you always got to learn to adapt, um, and oftentimes that might mean ideologically as well. Like, do you see um, yourself like, like when it comes to any issue, do you guys see yourself having a different take or having a different approach to certain issues compared to your stereotypical cookie cutter, you know, older white age Republicans? Yeah. So, and again, as you guys, as you guys, uh, I think it was David that touched upon this earlier. Um, you know, of course, as Republicans, you always, you guys always got to adapt, and as conservatives, 
Um, so like, what's been your approach? Like, what's uh, like, do you see yourself um, having different ideas or different uh, viewpoints to uh, certain solutions or issues uh, compared to, uh, you know, mainstream or stereotypical Republicans? Absolutely. Yes. Unequivocally. Yes. Uh, I mean, number one would be uh, cannabis legalization. You know, I, I, I made it very clear to a lot of Republicans in 2017 here in New Jersey that if we opposed cannabis legalization, we would lose. And we did. And we did. One of the I want to get back to something David mentioned regarding uh, the minority communities. You know, mm-hmm. there there's this idea or this ethos out there that, you know, the Republican Party is racist or that the Republican Party doesn't care about minorities. And, you know, I know the history of the Republican Party. The Republican Party was founded as the anti-slavery party. You know, the first, right. I think, 20-something um, black men elected to Congress were Republicans. But as we all know, that changed in the 60s. You know, um, as far as when LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act, you know, I know that it was a Republican majority uh, that passed that, but he's the one who got the credit for it. He's the Democrat who signed off on it. And then you fast forward a couple years to Nixon, right? And this is where it gets really screwed up. You have Nixon launch the war on drugs. And years later, his campaign aide admitted that, I mean, this is like a direct quote that, well, you know, we had people opposing us and he was talking about blacks. He was talking about hippies. He was talking about these people that were anti-Vietnam war. And he's like, we couldn't criminalize them for that, but we could criminalize the things that they did. And that's that. I mean, so that whole war on drugs was specifically created to imprison people on the left and uh, people of color. And to, to, because once you're imprisoned and once you're a convicted felon, you can't vote anymore. And then you fast forward a couple more years to Reagan, right? Yeah, I was going to say, or if you're in Jersey, you can't own a gun either, fun fact. So, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you you barely own a gun as a law abiding citizen in New Jersey, but that's a side issue at Mm -hmm. this point. You fast forward to Reagan, who's another huge Republican, won 49 state majority uh, re-election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of Republicans praise him because, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money in the 80s. But when you look at what happened in the black community in the 80s with him doubling down on the war on drugs, and then on top of that, the CIA now, I mean, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's admitted they made movies about it, documentaries about it, specifically fed these uh, inner city communities with crack cocaine and cocaine to utterly destroy them. They they absolutely destroyed the black family. And, you know, you wonder why you see the problems that you see. So as a Republican today, the number one thing you have to do is acknowledge that. You have to, you have to be willing to acknowledge that. You have to be willing to acknowledge that harm and not just say, oh, Republicans are the party that ended racism or, or that ended slavery. Because yes, we did end slavery. And yes, we did fight Jim Crow. And yes, we did a lot of great things, but over the last 40 years, we've really dropped the ball. We really dropped the ball. And and there's a lot of Republicans to this day that opposed any type of entitlement at all. They they oppose food stamps, they oppose, and and believe me, I'm a libertarian. And in a libertarian dream world, nobody needs that, but we're not there yet. So talking about cutting those programs is not something that we can even touch. Like that's, that's not that's not that shouldn't even be on the table, especially food stamps of all things. You know, the other thing is 
with our current welfare system that we have, and this is where my personal experience comes in because I've been on and off government assistance uh, in my earlier years. It really is set up to keep you poor. That's not just a talking point. Yeah. So I found this out by living it. So I was on, uh, I was on assistance, and they said, Matt, so it looks like you qualified to have free rental assistance. We'll pay your rent for you for the next five years. And I was like, wow. Years? That's incredible. And I was, I was thinking like all the stuff I can do in five years. I was like, I can, I can get financial aid. I can go to college. I can turn my whole life around. This is great. But you want to know what happened when I, when I started college? They kicked me off the program because it turns out if you actually do anything to improve your lifestyle or try to get upward mobility, you're, you're, you're cut off. Mm-hmm. So either you go full on government dependent or not. It's, it's an all or nothing system that's completely set up with zero nuance and zero right. plan actually giving anybody a step with up. It's really set up so that you keep voting for that certain party that's going to keep giving you more benefits because at that point you need it. And it's, it's, it's really disturbing. It's really disturbing. So that has to be addressed too. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why, even though, you know, he's running uh, David Cypher, he's running hundreds of miles away from me. Uh, he's not in my district. I can't vote for him, but I, I, I need to have a conversation with anybody that's running at the state level because this needs to be addressed. You know, there's holes in, in, in our uh, entitlement systems. You know, there's big holes. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have any entitlements, but they definitely need reform, uh, you know, because there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of a lot of unnecessary bureaucracy. Yeah, a lot of it can be automated at this point. And so, I mean, that's most of the expense. I mean, and that goes at like every level of government. You look at our school systems, the majority of the money is being spent at the administrative level. It's not going to teachers. It's not going to students. And so this is why I'm building partnerships with everybody I can throughout the state. Um, but yeah, so the, the war on drugs, the harm from it, that has to be that has to be addressed. It has to be acknowledged, and that you know you have to really be genuine in saying, like, I'm I'm not about that. I'm not about that. You know, this is why I I I support. You know, I'm I'm very libertarian, and the idea is there's a lot of people that would be like, oh, you know, you know Republicans are against drugs. Well, really conservative what does conservative mean what are you conserving well i'm me i'm conserving the principles laid out in the declaration of independence and the principles laid out in the constitution and nowhere in that does it say anything about the government having the authority to regulate what you can and cannot put in your body right period period and it's a limited government position too you know that's why especially as someone who is of the younger generation you know of course i i put myself in a similar uh, political field as yours i mean especially through my activism but you know, I always felt that was like a, an interesting inconsistency, especially about, you know, Republicans, you know, wanting to advocate for principles of limited government. It's like, well, the war on drugs is not exactly limited government. You know, keeping people criminalized or, you know, not allowing people to recover through, you know, harsh uh, sentences for, uh, you know, drug, mere drug possession, you know, especially when, especially if they're not dealing. It's, right. it, it's, it's definitely very much an issue. And I always found that as an inconsistency. And I, I know friends that, you know, like with yourself, I know people that have been addicted. I know people that have gotten into hard drugs. And sometimes, like, it's not even their own, their own fault. It's done through, you know, bad influences, like being in the wrong crowd. And, 
you know, frankly, these are people that deserve a, a second chance at life. You know, especially even if whether you regard addiction as a disease or not, it's something that needs to be taken care of. And just throwing someone in a cage just because you have a they have a they've been using a substance that you don't like doesn't solve the issue. And as you said before, I mean, it's you know, our current system has such a low uh, success rate of recovery. You know, it's just still bewildering that, you know, we haven't really made significant changes like that. And you would think in a state like New Jersey, right, where you have a Democrat supermajority. And if, you know, you know, it's supposed to be the progressive dreamland, the the next California, the California, the East Coast, as Governor Phil Murphy says, we, you know, we passed a referendum last November legalizing marijuana with over 60 percent of the vote. Right. But, you know, and that's essentially required. Like, I forgot the exact procedure and how it's supposed to work legislatively, but the legislature has just been essentially sitting on it. And for what? Oh, you know, we're trying to figure out how much to tax it by or how many more excessive regulate, how many excessive regulations we want to put on it. It's like, do you really, you know, advocate or really care for what you call social justice? You know, by trying, you know, by, you know, holding off people who, you know, deserve that second chance life, who would really benefit from, you know, finally reforming these laws, finally legalizing marijuana and, you know, putting it more into like the mainstream, doing it through, you know, regulated dispensaries. You know, for, for those people, you're holding off on their justice. You're holding them off on, you know, their chance to move in life all because you're trying to get more revenue for the government. Right. And that's, you know, I, I just gave a speech about this uh, outside of City Hall because they held a public forum regarding because uh, Atlantic City has opted into the cannabis industry, even though our mayor originally opposed it. Uh, he, right. claims, he claims to be morally opposed to marijuana. Uh, th those are his words. And, hmm. you know, I gave a speech where I said, we have to pass a, a municipal home grow because, you know, you, we live in the garden state. Number one, you should be able to grow your own pot. If it's legal, it's legal. You know, yeah. I, I don't have the idea of, I mean, corporatism and cannabis really just in my mind, they don't, they don't mesh. They don't mesh. Um, you know, as well as the state is sitting on, they're taking a lot of time to say, Oh, well, we don't know who we're going to give licenses to and how it's going to work. I'm like, it's very simple. You go in the law book, you, you go in the records, you find out who's been hurt the most by our cannabis laws, and you ask them if they want to license first. Because it's it's just compensation, if you ask me, because the whole law was illegitimate to begin with, in my opinion. So that's that's something that should be moved on. You know, that's a form of reparations that I'm fully behind. Yeah. You know, I reissue any fines, I think they should be reissued back to the people that they were imposed on. Because yeah. this was was a, this was a, a wrong from the rip, you know, and especially when you look into what happened with cannabis uh, criminalization and William Randolph Hearst, speaking of Joe Rogan, uh, you know, it was all political. It had nothing to do with, it was all a lie from the beginning, from reefer madness all the way up until when I was in seventh grade and the dare people came in and said, you know, you're going to die if you smoke this evil plant. And yep, I remember those two. Mentality is another contributor to the addiction we have today because here's what happens because when, when i went with these dare programs they never talked about prescription pills they never talked about opiates they said marijuana was an evil plant it's going to put you in a gang and ecstasy is going to put holes in the gateway drug yeah so here's what happens someone ends up eventually smoking cannabis and nothing bad happens and they say to themselves oh wow everything i've taught about this was a lie i wonder what else they taught me about drugs was a lie. And here's the thing. The other drugs are pretty screwed up. You probably shouldn't do them. But if you have this mentality now where you've been lied to, 
and you don't trust it, you go try for yourself, then you're fucked. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so Essentially. That's, a third form, that's another form of harm that's come from these ridiculous policies. You know? So it's, it's sad. It's sad. It's really sad. And, you know, you think about all the opioid painkillers that people were prescribed and overprescribed and then addicted to and then cut off and then resorted to heroin. If they could have just been allowed to use cannabis from the beginning, how many thousands, thousands of people would still be alive today? How many people would still have their children? How many people would still have their parents? It's just endless. Exactly. No, it's, I, just, it's crazy. No, for sure. Um, yeah, so David, uh, don't want you to feel left out here, but uh, what's your input? Like, What makes you different from a typical Republican? Uh, man, well, first of all, before I answer that, I just want to say I tip my hat to you guys because this is the kind of conversation that I've been wanting to see from the Republican Party. You know, let's talk about those things that people are afraid to talk about. Matthew brought it up about in the 80s. And a lot of black people have this concern, and I'm putting it out there so our Republican Party can hear it. If you remember in the 80s, especially in New Jersey and places like Canada and Atlantic City, when the crack epidemic was going on and it was mm-hmm. a lot of minorities affected, they criminalized it. So even if you were suffering with addiction, you still go to jail. Yep. But you fast forward 10 years ago, like you said, when the opioid crisis and now this opioid crisis with meth and it's worldwide. Now rural areas getting affected. Now they're like, oh, wait a minute. We need uh, treatment programs. And yep. now Sussex my- County. They only finally became concerned about it when it hit when it hit their homes. Right. So so you can understand the anger of the minority community when they say, boy, 25 years ago, people was getting locked up for 10, 15 years and they were suffering. They were addicts. They were suffering. They were literally selling off their kids, selling anything they had to use drugs. And they were criminalized for an addiction. And now when it reaches the wealthy areas or the areas where people are connected to the mayor. So, oh, well, now we got to do something. Well, you can understand the anger. And what we at the Republican Party, and let me tell you something, a lot of people actually, well, as a black Republican, you get a lot of backlash. I said, well, when I first joined, but now when I joined the party, I don't get backlash because I come with people with common sense, right? Right. Let's talk about common sense environmentalism. Let's talk about how we can have common sense regulations between the cops and the community where people are treated with respect. We understand that there is some law enforcement, there is some authority system, but how do we create that balance between treating every human being with respect and maintaining your deterrent authority system, right? How do we bridge that gap, right? And how do we best handle those tense situations where people's lives can be in danger. How do we use the most amount of force and try to make it non-lethal at the same time? What are our options? These are the things that we have to talk about. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the state legislature already, so I'm not going to lie and tell you I have all the answers, but the start of the conversation is important for the Republican Party. Let, let me tell you how important this is. If you remember, even when Reagan was president, they were saying the Republican Party is racist, right? So yeah. what's that? That's that's 40 years of you having the same narrative and the people who are the gatekeepers, either they didn't, and, I, and I'm not saying it to where they're bad people. I honestly believe that the people who run the party, they honestly, they want to maintain their position. But honestly, a lot of people I've learned by being in politics you think, oh, they're this big person, but they honestly don't know what to do. It's not that they're bad people. They really don't know what to do. So think about it. That's 40 years of you saying 
this institution is racist. This organization is racist. And that's why in, on the Republican Party, it has become a living prophecy because if you say something enough time, it becomes the truth, right? Well, how long have they been saying it? They've been saying it for 40 years. So now yep. the, Repu- the, the stigma of the Republican Party being racist, the reason why it's hard to shake it is now it's become a cultural truth because they've been saying it for so long and the Republican Party never, never, well, I don't want to say all Republicans because there's Republicans like us that have been on the front line since the 80s, but there wasn't a major shift to address those allegations. So now it's hard to shake it because now it's a cultural reality because they've been saying it for at least two, three generations that the Republican Party is racist. Now it's a reality. Now it's no longer, oh, it's not true. Well, at this point, it doesn't matter because now it's a cultural reality that the party is a racist. Whether you want to say it's true or not, it's a cultural reality. So now you have to deal with it. Yeah, no, exactly for sure. You know, but again, um, I don't know if there was like any other uh, last topics that you guys wanted to bring up. Like, this is just, what? I'm I'm sorry not to cut you off. Now I'm going to answer your question about what makes me unique is that I realized that if the Republican Party wants to overtake Jersey, they have to meet people where they are and people like people who connect and who are common sense. Like I said, you know how many, there's a lady that uh, I remember speaking to on the internet. She says, oh man, I don't mess with no Republicans. I don't, you know, I don't do that. Oh, and, she, and then we started talking and she goes, well, let me see some of your policies. I said, well, you know, I'm a young generation Republican and, you know, I'm concerned about my environment. You know, I care about an economy that works for everybody, rich, poor, black, white. Let's come to the table. Let's do this. You know, let's talk about the issues. She says, wow, I respect you. So it starts with the conversation. If you talk to people in the most common sense way, they will understand what you're trying to do and they will respect you. Now, the They'll be more open-minded, part, yeah. Right. The second part is the outreach, what me and Matthew been talking about. How can me and Matthew come together and form something where the GOP uh, uh, sets a, a, a budget for us where we can go in the community where we can do all of these great things like scholarship programs, you know, and kind of streamline the, the, the process of pulling people out of poverty and connect those actions with the Republican Party so we can change the face of the Republican Party. So the other part is activism, because like I said, there was another situation where a guy was harassing me, you know, about being Republicans in the third. And I told him, listen, I'm out here feeding the homeless. So if you saying this, that, and the third, you can come with me and feed the homeless. You got a lot of questions. You, you can come on the front lines with me. And when you talk to people like that, you'll see how quick people back up. Because if they're not willing to be on the front line, they're just on the Internet, you know, blowing smoke. All talk, no action. Yeah, so I said, come come out of the internet and come down to Atlantic City. Come down to the cleanup. Come down and, you know, see what the homeless need and take care of them and talk to these children and and inspire people if you think it's not real. So we need the action. But first, before the action, we, we have to let people know that we're willing now to be a part of the conversation. And, you know, I'm... and. Like I said, I, I, I respect what you guys are doing, and I hope in the future all of us young Republicans, black, 
young black, young white, young Latino Republicans can get together and really change the face of the party because a lot of people have conservative values, but we need to change the messaging where they can relate to us. See, every relating is everything. Once they relate to us, you're going to see, you know, a new a new wave in New Jersey. Yeah, with more viable solutions. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, this, this honestly, guys, this has been a great conversation. Um, cannot thank you guys enough, you know, for being my first guests on, you know, on the podcast. You know, it's really been an honor to have you guys. You know, I really love the way you guys are, you know, setting up your campaign, you're styling your campaign. It's very different from, you know, the typical join the Republican team and they just tell you to vote straight Republican no matter what, no questions asked. They don't talk about anything, you know, and these are actual issues that, you know, the state has been dealing or dealing with for a long time. And, you know, now it's, you know, no longer just one side of the political aisle talking about it. So, you know, again, I really, like you said, you know, there, I really, you know, look forward to having more conversations with people about this. You know, I really hope you guys, you know, keep making the push that you guys have been making, you know, regarding your campaigns. And of course, you know, outside of that as well with what you guys do for the communities overall. And, um, Again, thank you guys so much. Um, and again, and thank you guys, of course, for uh, listening to the podcast. Um, if you didn't catch my social media earlier, um, I have um, it, my Instagram's the MCast, um, Twitter's the MCast podcast, and I'm going to be on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And now, one more question for uh, both Matt and David: uh, How can uh, how can the uh, listeners find you or follow you on social media? All right, so um, I'm primarily on Facebook, Matthew Diulio Jacino. You can also find my campaign page, Diulio Jacino, for uh, for AC. Uh, my website is DJ4, that's the number 4AC.com. You can go there, you can view the, the, the my platform, everything that I'm, I'm trying to do, as well as make uh, contributions. You can also reach out to me via email, Matthew at DJ4AC.com. Uh, I look forward to you know any inquiries from anywhere. Yeah. And, and Matthew, thank you. This was great. Uh, and if you want to have me on anytime, please. Well, absolutely. This has been, this has been yeah. fantastic. And how about yeah, you, David? I- yeah, man. I mean, I always, like I said, I love these type of conversations. And one thing I will say, because I've noticed when I have these type of conversations, if you're a Republican, don't take this conversation as bashing a Republican party. It's the way I look at it is like this, because a lot of people say, oh, you're bashing a party. No, I, I don't speak on Democrats because I'm not a Democrat and I don't care. So it's constructive walk, criticism. Right. So if I walk in my own house, right and my house is dirty, and my neighbor's house is dirty, I'm more concerned with cleaning up my house. Why well, I'm, 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 I'm gonna keep telling the neighbor to clean up his house? I mean, I have more control over what goes on in my house. So like you said, we wanna clean up our house. Um, there's a lot of young generation people who don't know much about conservatism. And as young leaders, we gotta make sure we're involved in these conversations so people can understand like, whoa, you know, what they've been saying for the last 40 years that's no longer true. We they have a new generation of leaders that's going to address our concerns, and when they see that, you're going to see New Jersey turn red. I believe it. Yeah, hopefully one day we'll see. That's yeah. So, uh, where, where can uh, so David, uh, where can uh, where can the listeners find you? Oh yeah, um, they can find me on Facebook, uh, Cipher for Assembly. They can find me on Instagram, Cipher for NJ. They can find me on Twitter. Uh, just my full name, uh, David Cipher. Uh, so they can find me, you know, on my social media. Um, as a matter of fact, also too, um, my website will be up sometime next week. So they, uh, that more than likely that'll be, uh, uh, Cipher for NJ or Cipher for Assembly or 
either that or a combination of LD22. So, you know, I'm I'm huh? definitely I'm I'm definitely providing, you know, all uh avenues of medium where people can reach me. But you know, my Facebook is open, like I said, Cypher for Assembly, Cypher for NJ, Instagram, Twitter, and you look look me up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to conclude, uh, listeners, I almost forgot one more thing. Um, I'm also on Facebook, the MCAST, you know, is how we have a Facebook page up and up and running. And I also have a Patreon set up. So, you know, if you want to contribute to the show, you know, help it keep it running, help me get more guest speakers on, um, you know, that would like even the smallest of contributions, you know, would mean so much. And I would thank you in advance for all your support. And also, lastly, if you or if you know of anyone that'd be interested in coming on to the show as well, um, email, like email the channel, email the podcast at mcastshow at gmail.com. And I'll send you a Google form, you know, of who you are and, you know, what you're running for and all the other fine details. And uh, we'll look to see how we can have you on. Uh, so, but again, lastly, Matthew and David, again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. You know, we'll definitely keep in touch and uh, look forward to talk, uh, speaking with you guys again. All right. All right. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. You as well.